0: openings of scripture, 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 1. 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 1, 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We know that the Bible instructs us that anytime the physical circumstances contradict what the word is saying that we're supposed to choose the word. Because of that, we are instructed from the Word of God to look away from the limitations of the flesh and the things of this natural realm that would seem to contradict or that would seem to tell us that we can't do or can't have what God's Word says we can have. And as a result, the the character and nature of God is that He calls things that be not as though they were. Specifically, He calls things in this natural realm something else other than what appears. For that reason, we can declare that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus according to the Word of God, rather than look at our circumstances and go by what our body, physical body is telling us, or even the doctor is diagnosed. But there's there's an element to this walk of faith that I think we too often neglect or fail to recognize because since the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight, there are other times where the Bible indicates to us about what we look at or what we see. You know as well as I do that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. Sight is just representative of all five of the physical senses. For example, Jesus said, take heed what you hear. If what we hear is in contrast to what the Word of God says or contradicts what the Word of God says, we're supposed to stick with the Word. The Bible tells us to put the Word first, to incline our ear to its sayings, to keep them in the midst of our hearts and not, not let them depart from before our eyes for their life unto those that find them in health unto all their flesh. But notice in Ephesians chapter 1, when Paul is writing to the church, Paul is instructing the church or revealing to the church, I guess, would be a better way to say it. What the Holy Ghost prompts him to pray. Now here's the Holy Ghost giving us a record of what the Holy Ghost told, uh, uh, impressed Paul to pray. God wants you to know. God wants you to know what Paul prayed for the Ephesians. Because he wants us to know how to pray for ourselves and for others. So notice what he prayed. Beginning in verse 16, he said, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the, Father, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Notice verse 18 particularly. The eyes of your understanding, this word understanding is the same word for spirit. The eyes of your understanding or the eyes of your spirit being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power how many of you have ever ever heard the phrase blind faith that's pretty common isn't it well what does that really mean when people use the the term blind faith if they're using it in a in a uh, christian context then most of the time that that phrase would be used would be by people that are um either mocking People that are calling things that be not as though they were or something along that line. But the Bible talks about better sight. The Bible just doesn't tell us about walking by faith and not by sight. It talks about better sight. To the person that's unschooled in the scriptures. Unknow- and unknowledgeable about certain things and how the principles of the kingdom of God work. It looks like faith. Faith. Believing God, taking God at his word is a step out into nothingness. But for the believer, the person that is enlightened, nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. We have better sight. Think about how sight works. We think of uh, sight being connected with the natural eye. And we look at our, look through our eyes. The Bible talks about the eyes being the windows of the soul. We look from the inside out through this earth suit that enables us to function here on this earth. And we automatically associate sight with what we see through our eyes. But you don't even see with your eyes. You don't see with the optic nerve. You see with your mind. The optic nerve provides an image that your mind adapts And we see through the eyes of our mind, so to speak, rather than the optic nerve. For that reason, we can, through the Word of God, have better sight than anything we could ever hope to see in the natural realm. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 11. Let me show you some examples of this. Hebrews chapter 11, we'll start reading in verse 8. It says, by faith Abraham, this is the hall of fame of faith in, uh, in the New Testament. Speaking of Abraham, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing where he went. By faith he sojourned in a, in a land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in Tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Notice Verse 10. For he looked for a city. He looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Move down with me to about verse 23, I think it is. Talking about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years "...refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy pleasures, the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith," verse 27, "...by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing one, uh, seeing him." is invisible. Now, why would Moses do what he did? By the way, I think it's interesting that Paul uh, connects Jesus, Paul being the author of the book of Hebrews, I believe. I think it's interesting that he connects Moses with Jesus. He keeps mentioning suffering for Christ and so forth. Well, Jesus didn't come along until way after Moses. But Paul is identifying and the Holy Ghost is revealing to us. That all the things that Abraham did, and all the things that that Moses did, and many of the other patriarchs, all the things that they did, they did because they looked past something they could see with their natural eye. They looked past something that they could see. They looked past everything that they could see with their natural eye because they believed that something was more sure. They believed that something had foundations that were more sure than this natural realm. The Bible tells us, we're right there in Hebrews chapter 8, the Bible tells us, I think it's in verse 3, it says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which do appear were made of things which do not appear. In other words, visible things, the things that we see in this natural realm, everything we see in this natural realm, the mountains, as big and tall and, and strong as they are, were created by unseen things, those unseen things being the Word of God. So, when we step out in faith, when we act on the promise of God, when we act on what the Bible says Jesus has purchased for us and lay hold of it by faith, by believing we receive when we pray, by calling things that be not as though they were, and any and all other characteristics that the Bible tells us of faith, when we do that, we're standing on more sure foundations than the mountains themselves. There is no blind faith. There is no such thing for the Christian, for the believer, as blind faith. Now, I'm sure there are people that have tried to step out into things and done things in presumption. For example, I remember a story. This happened um, a couple of years after I finished Bible school. There was a guy that was uh, a graduate of the, a graduate of Raymond of the Bible School that I was in, that I attended. He went there as well. He was a couple of years ahead of me. And so he was. Uh, pastoring a church in a certain part of the country having some issues, having some physical issues and so he went to the doctor and the doctor diagnosed him with diabetes and so he had to regulate his insulin and you know all the stuff that's involved with checking your blood sugar levels and all that kind of stuff well he came to the place where he just said I'm going to trust God or die so he threw away his insulin he was on a camping trip or about to go on a camping trip he didn't take his insulin with him And he died. And people hear things like that and they say, well, that faith stuff doesn't work. Well, that wasn't faith. Trust God or die isn't faith. Trust God and live. That's faith. But it came to the understanding of those of us that uh, knew anything about him. There were those that were closest to him. And he had heard a story about somebody that had stopped taking their insulin and gotten healed received their healing from diabetes. So he was just trying to ape or imitate what somebody else did and get their results. He had no foundation to stand on for himself. Now the person that he had heard about, or, or others, I'm sure that, uh, that we've heard about, I don't know if he ever heard about him or not, but there have been a number of people, number of Ramah students over the years that just made a confession of faith By taking their insulin every day they just mixed faith with it and over a period of time their body changed so that they no longer needed the insulin. But the point I'm trying to make is real faith, real Bible faith has the strongest foundation of anything in the universe. It's impossible for there to be blind faith if you've found the scripture and have done the necessary work to make it a part of your spirit. It's impossible. It's just impossible. We have a stronger foundation. Maybe we should say it this way. The Word of God is a stronger foundation than anything else in the universe. Everything else in the universe, Paul's talked about, things that are here on this earth are temporal. Things of the spirit realm are temporal. The word temporal means subject to change. Well, what are they subject to change to or subject to change by? How are they changed? The Word of God can change anything there is. And it's interesting to me, thinking along this line, it's interesting to me that Jesus used a mountain as the example of something that can be moved by faith. He did that several times. There were several different occasions. Twice he uh, uh, talked about mountains being removed by faith and then uh, several other times he talked about trees being uprooted by faith. Mark eleven twenty three. Jesus said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain... Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Why did Jesus use a mountain? Well, there was one there. There was one there for him to use the illustration for, but nobody even thinks about mountains moving. I mean, that's outside of our realm of thought. We understand that mountains are too big to move. And again, as I've said before, I don't think Jesus is telling us literally, here's how you change the landscape of the earth. I believe he's using an example that would cover anything and everything that looks too big for us to happen. And he said, even the mountain will move by faith. Well, then something, this thing called faith that Jesus speaks to us of, this thing that the Bible says we walk by instead of by sight, by our five physical senses, this thing called faith has to have a foundation that's stronger than any natural physical thing we can see Paul prayed Paul understood by the Holy Ghost that the important thing was for believers you and I, people that have been saved people that have been filled with the Holy Ghost the most important thing is for us to see with the eyes of our spirit look with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, Paul said, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look, we're supposed to look at something. While we look not at the things which are seen, the physical realm. While we look not at the things that are seen but at the things which are not seen. The promises of God that contradict the physical circumstances. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Think of all the times that Jesus superseded the laws of nature. Things that would appear to us to be hindrances, obstacles. Jesus just adjusted the laws of nature to fit it his situation to fit his need he sent, after he fed the 5,000 with a little boy's lunch Jesus sent his disciples to the other side of the, of the sea of Galilee he stayed and prayed and now in the wee early hours of the morning he comes walking to them on the sea I'm sure looking forward to finding out how some of that stuff worked what happened did the sea become solid every time he set his foot down did the sea become solid underneath his foot did he levitate did he suspend the laws of gravity so that he didn't sink maybe it was a combination of the two maybe it was something altogether different something I haven't even considered but somehow the laws of nature were suspended that much we know for sure right Jesus had suspended the laws of nature previous to that when he fed the loaves fed the 5,000 loaves and fishes he multiplied it well things don't normally multiply on their own wouldn't you hate for your everyday lunch to turn into enough to feed 5,000 we'd pretty soon have a problem on on our hands so the laws of nature were suspended there too I don't know how that worked do you? Jesus suspended the laws of nature every time he healed the sick and certainly every time he raised the dead. Every time Jesus found something that was a hindrance or an obstacle, he superseded that physical condition with the word of God. In other words, by walking by faith and not by sight. We know the same thing's true of, of Abraham. Romans chapter 4 tells us about Abraham when he was about 100 years old, didn't consider his body now dead, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb, but looking under the promise of God, he wavered not or staggered not through faith. What kept him steady was looking at the promise of God. What kept him steady? What kept him in a place where God could do the supernatural? bring about the supernatural results so that he and Sarah had a child. That child that God had promised 25 years earlier. That occurred by him looking at something other than the physical circumstances. We see the same thing in Jonah. The story of Jonah fascinates me. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach or else destruction will come upon him and I think it was in 30 days time. Well, Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. He thought destruction was good for him, so he started running the other way. Well, you know, he wound up on a ship, and the ship wound up in a storm. Pretty soon, these idol worshipers figured out that somebody's the cause of this storm. This is a supernatural storm, and it's because somebody has done something wrong. Jonah winds up fessing up. He said, it's me. Throw me overboard, and you guys will be all right. That's a pretty drastic action to take. And they must have been concerned that God would get mad, the God that was causing the storm would get mad if they just threw him overboard. So it took them a while to be convinced, but finally they were, and so they tossed him over. Well, if God was through with Jonah, that would be the end of the story. It would be certainly within God's purview. It wouldn't have been unjust in any way whatsoever for, him to say to, for God to say to Jonah, I wanted you to go you were my first choice but I've got somebody as a replacement so too bad for you you'll just have to drown in the sea but a fish swallowed Jonah what did that say to Jonah now now we look at it from the natural standpoint at least I do we look at it from the natural standpoint and we think wow what worse place could there be for Jonah than in the belly of this fish But what does him being swallowed by the fish really mean? It means God's not through with him. And even though the means of deliverance sound pretty gross and nasty and hard for us to comprehend, it spoke to Jonah that God wasn't through with him. God wanted him to go to Nineveh and preach. Jonah said no. God arrested him, prepared a fish to swallow him. Jonah knows that he's still supposed to preach in Nineveh. So, surrounded by fish in what must have been ghastly circumstances, Jonah said, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. Now, the lying vanity he's talking about is the conditions inside the fish, which, as I said, look to us to be not only, well, just look to me to be nasty. Maybe that's the best way to say it. With the things that he describes about seaweed wrapping around his head and all that kind of stuff, that's just a gross story to me. But Jonah recognized it as a means of deliverance, not the end of him. And so he calls the circumstances that he's in a lying vanity. Why is that a lying vanity? Because it's saying to it to him, it's speaking, in a sense. That God's through with him, and this is his end. Jonah knew differently. Jonah knew as an Old Testament guy with a covenant not as good as the one that you and I have. Hebrews 8 says, 8.6 says we have a better covenant established upon better promises. Jonah recognized it as a hindrance that could be overcome with his faith. So he calls it a lying vanity. Well, if the fish was a lying vanity, what was the truth? That God had a plan for him to preach at Nineveh. And that's exactly the way that it went. The fish vomited him up on the, sea, on the seashore, the Bible says. And Jonah goes and preaches. And just like he was concerned, the people of Nineveh repent. And so destruction was averted. And that didn't make him happy anyway. But think about these Old Testament guys. Think about the fact that they were willing to look at the unseen and live their lives based on the unseen. Look at Noah, for goodness sakes. God tells Noah to build an ark and there's no body of water in sight. He builds and he builds and he builds. He becomes a spectacle. The people come from all quarters to see and make fun of him because of what he was doing. But Jonah saw a flood. How did he see a flood? Because God revealed it to him. God's word described it. God's word told him of its imminent coming. And so Jonah, and so Noah saw a flood. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. There are other examples. Oh, Before I get to that, let me go back to my um, thought that I started a few minutes ago. These Old Testament guys fascinate me. With a covenant not as good as ours. With a relationship with God that they didn't have. That we have. The whole purpose of Jesus fulfilling the law was so that God could live inside you and me. None of these guys had God on the inside of them. None. And yet look at the lengths that they went to in their faith to trust God. My point is, it's a whole lot easier for us to look at things that are not seen than it would have been for them because we've got the greater one on the inside of us. But the mighty things that they did, I love Hebrews 11 because it talks about guys that we don't even know who they are. Paul gets to the place where he says, I'm running out of time and so it wouldn't be profitable for me to talk about this guy or that guy or another guy. But as far as their history was concerned, They must have done a a, a wonderful thing. They must have received wonderful results, miraculous results through their faith in God. And we don't even know who they are. They didn't have half of what we have. They had virtually nothing in comparison to what we have. But the faith that was exercised by these heroes is staggering. Nowadays, we try to convince people to believe God's word is true. I believe in one sense, maybe more than one, but at least in one sense. That is to the shame of the modern day church. Look at Joshua. Joshua commanded the sun and the moon to stand still. And it did. Gave him time to defeat his enemies. If God would do that for the children of Israel in the, under the old covenant, who were just servants, what would he do for his sons and his daughters? Folks, if our faith is based on the word, then Bible faith, real faith, has to be based on the word. Romans 10 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word. Real Bible faith always has a foundation of the word, and that foundation is stronger than any physical circumstance or force or anything that exists in this natural realm we walk by better sight we don't walk without sight we walk by better sight the foundations for what the Bible tells us belongs to us through Jesus is stronger than any foundation of any mountain no matter how big it is We have the strongest foundation for belief of anything that exists in the universe. And that's God's word. It's also interesting to me how that when Jesus was talking about himself and his death on the cross, reminded Israel of an event that happened when Moses was the leader of the children of Israel. Jesus said it this way. It's in John chapter 3. Just after the famous verse 16 was spoken, he said, Just as Moses lifted the serpent of brass in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Well, if you remember the story, it's in Numbers, I think, number 17. The story was that the children of Israel started murmuring against God while they were in the wilderness, murmuring against Moses and against God while they were in the wilderness. And the territory which was the home of these fiery serpents, poisonous snakes, came into the camp in mass apparently and bit a lot of people and a lot of the people died. I'm not sure if they tell us the number of people that died, but the implication certainly is it was a lot of people. Well, the people came running to Moses and said, we've sinned. We've spoken against you and against God. They knew what the problem was. It's not God attacking people with snakes. It was them taking themselves out of from under God's protection. They were in that same wilderness for 40 years and there's never an account, never any record in any way whatsoever that snakes ever attacked them except in this one place, in this one situation. So since this was the land of the snakes, the land of these fiery serpents, poisonous snakes, which most everybody agrees that's what fiery serpents reveals, or refers to is poisonous snakes. The fact is, Them walking in obedience to God kept the snakes out of the camp. And it was only when they changed their obedience to murmuring against God and against Moses that their hand of protection was lifted and the snakes got into the people. So they come to Moses and they said, we've sinned. We've spoken against God and we've spoken against you. Help us. So Moses goes to God and God says, make a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. Now since Jesus says that that was a type of him, we would think that it should have been a lamb or a dove, not a serpent. But remember on the cross, Jesus was made sin for us. He comes to the point where one of the last things he said on the cross was, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? At that moment, Jesus was completely made sin. And he's referring not to his bewilderment or confusion about God's plan and purpose. But he's letting us know that the work of becoming sin was complete. And God can't look upon sin. So Jesus says, why hast thou forsaken me? And fulfills the scripture, the promise that was given of old. That he would be made sin for us. So that we wouldn't have to pay the price for it. That's what Jesus said the, the serpent on the brass was representative of. So God told Moses, Make a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. And he said this He said, Every one of the children of Israel, whosoever looketh upon it, shall be saved or healed. Whosoever looketh upon it. That kind of puzzled me, or, uh, well, really, it didn't start puzzling me until I started seeing some things about it. I just always assumed that that meant that Moses put the pole in a certain place or maybe walked it through the camp and everybody stopped long enough to look at it and then they were healed. But it could have been something else. They could have had snakes around their feet but they choose to look to the brass serpent on the pole. That would make the faith experience a little bit more real to them, wouldn't it? Regardless, however it worked, The Bible says, Everyone that looketh upon it shall live, and everyone that looked upon it did. They were healed of the snake bites, and the snakes were driven out of the camp. The hand of God's protection was once again on them. Now, this word looketh is interesting because it doesn't mean a casual glance. And I think that's what a lot of us do when it comes to the cross of Jesus. We just give a casual glance and say, Well, Jesus has died for our sins. Thank you, Lord that we don't have to go to hell and folks if that's all Jesus did that would have been a worthwhile effort but God doesn't want us just to glance at the cross he wants us to stare at it the word look talks to the intensity of the gaze how strongly how intent someone is to focus on that brass serpent I believe that's what God wants us to do with the cross to look at intently to live our lives based on what Jesus paid the price for by going to the cross thank God for the resurrection he was brought back to life to ensure that everything he paid for would truly be ours he gave us the Holy Spirit that would lead us into all the things that Jesus purchased for us with his precious blood so when the Bible says we, look, we should look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen he's talking about staring at the cross all throughout our lives not seeing the cross as a place of defeat but seeing the cross as a place of victory for us for healing for our bodies for provision for our lives and for the redemption from sin and the law of sin and death I believe that's what looking at the cross means where we stare at and never forget it David said it this way in the Psalms Psalm 103 he said bless the Lord O my soul and all that's within me bless his holy name he said bless the Lord O my soul and forget not all of his benefits thank God there were benefits to what Jesus did who forgiveth all thine iniquities everybody agrees on that one but in the same breath he said, who healeth all thy diseases. He said, who redeemeth thy life from destruction and crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercy. He said, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Thank God for his benefits. I believe God wants us to live our lives focused on what the cross brought to us. Certainly what it took away from us which was sin but also to what the cross brought to us. He that looketh upon it shall live. He that looketh upon it shall live. If that was true in the old covenant in one situation that would turn out to be a type and a shadow of Jesus and it was fulfilled by Jesus on, through his death, burial and resurrection isn't that worth us living for? It struck me it's been many years ago, but the Lord brought something to my attention, and up until that point in time, I never really had thought of it. And it wasn't something that the Lord spoke. It was just something that automatically, all of a sudden I knew. It was something that was witnessed to my heart, not with words but just with understanding. I realized that the death that Jesus died for the church was not so that people could just go through life trying to enjoy their comforts. Jesus gave everything of himself for you, for one purpose, and that is for you and me to give everything of ourselves to him. If you look worldwide at the church, I think many times in many situations we fall into the same category as Paul was talking about, or when he talked to the Corinthians, when he wrote to the Corinthians, he said they were living as mere men. God doesn't want us to live as mere men and women. He wants us to live as more than conquerors. That's what Jesus died for, not so that we could get by but so that we could be victorious in every aspect and defeat the works of the devil in our own lives because of the price he paid. And folks, the word of God gives us that better sight if we'll just dare to stand on it, if we'll just dare to act on it, if we'll just dare to see with the eyes of our spirits rather than the eyes of our flesh. No matter what the doctor diagnoses, no matter how severe the case of sickness might be, no matter how long it's been in operation against you, Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses. And with his stripes, you were healed. So which way are you going to let your mind focus the image? Are you going to see with your mind what the optic nerve gives to it to see in process are you going to operate and see according to what the word of God says has been done for you the focus and the strength of God's word is way stronger than the focus of the natural eye no matter what circumstance or symptom it shows amen let's pray Father thank you for the privilege that we have to see with better sight than what our natural eyes reveal for that reason Lord we pray the prayer that Paul prayed for us for the church we pray that you would give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you that the eyes of our understanding our our spiritual eyes would be enlightened that we would know what is the hope of your calling what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints And what is the exceeding greatness of your power that works in us as believers? Father, cause us to see and understand, like never before, that we've been free. We've been set free. We have been freed from the law of sin and death by the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Satan, we serve notice on you, we give you no place in our lives in our bodies. Our spirits were purchased by Jesus' blood and the word of God says our bodies were too. So we refuse to allow you to remain on our flesh. We refuse to give you any place whatsoever. We call things that be not as though they are. So we declare because God's word says it that we were healed by the stripes of Jesus. We declare That the healing power of God sustains us, restores our health, and heals our wounds. We declare that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. We declare that our faith is changing circumstances. The physical conditions and the physical circumstances that our natural eyes see. In Jesus' name. We declare that we are healed. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and lift our hands to the Lord. Let's just thank Him for His goodness. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Thank you for the privilege that we have to see with better sight than with the natural eye, to see with the eyes of our understanding being enlightened. To see with the eyes of our spirits being opened. To see that which really belongs to us. Truly belongs to us. And always will. By the sacrifice of Jesus. We love you Father. And Lord Jesus we thank you so much for taking our punishment. For paying the price that we would have, have rightly had to pay. Because of our own sins thank you Lord Jesus that you saw it through you didn't quit until every last bit of redemption was purchased and now because we're redeemed we've been made new creatures in Christ Jesus and recipients of all that Jesus' blood purchased for us Thank you, Lord, for making it so in our lives. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. We serve a good God. We serve a healing God. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us. We love you. Have a great week.